Good evening. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 23 November 2023, and it is a very important American holiday, Thanksgiving. And as I promised, we're going to stray away from our NK story, and we're going to do a little bit, and I do mean a little bit, of metaphysics, which is something I like to do. So (laughs) if you are are not interested in that, then you don't have to listen to this particular um, podcast. But I think you might enjoy it. Now, before I do it, I must also mention something. Remember back at the NK story, we're talking about deletions or modifications of three genes alterations in the final sense of the word. The RB protein, which is involved in movement and ultimately the degranulation mechanism of uh, CD8-positive T lymphocyte (coughs) uh, cytotoxicity, the natural killer cell cytotoxicity, and then there were two other gene products that were modified in the HLH family differentially depending on which patient we're looking at. One of them that's very important is the FBPase1, which is the gluconeogenic enzyme. And the third one was the acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, and it's called ACAD9, and that's actually a long-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, starting off with, say, palmitic acid and going to longer chain. Now, We were really emphasizing the immune response because that's what we were trying to do in all these lectures. But I will remind you that these mutations are in all copies of those genes. Now, the liver plays the significant role in the human body for gluconeogenesis. Um, Gluconeogenesis doesn't occur to any uh, degree in muscle tissue even though glucose is used for contraction. Gluconeogenesis doesn't occur in the adipose. Gluconeogenesis doesn't occur really in any other organ system to any degree. Uh, That includes the central nervous system as well, other than the liver and to some degree the kidney. So what happens if you have lesions in FBPase1 in the liver? Well, that's definitely going to cause that hypoglycemia because you're not going to have an adequate gluconeogenic pathway. Now, some glucose can be synthesized. As I said, if the bypass oxidative pentose phosphate shunt is generating fructose 6-phosphate, which is the product of the FBPX, now they, I could foreseeably see that occurring. Um, now, in terms of the fatty acid oxidation step, We did talk about peroxisomes versus the mitochondrion. Let's just emphasize the mitochondrion. Now, the liver doesn't carry out a great deal of fatty acid oxidation. So we won't have any real corruption there, except fatty acid oxidation is necessary in the liver, in the mitochondrion, to support gluconeogenesis during fasting, for example because that's where you're going to get ATP generated, right? Because glycolysis isn't going to function because there's going to be allosteric control in the liver that's going to shut down 
uh, glycolysis when gluconeogenesis is necessary. So you'll have a double negative strike there on gluconeogenesis in the liver. Once again, pathophenotype, uh, hypoglycemia. Now, what else could be going on there? For also keep in mind <coughs> that in these immune cells, there's no glucose 6-phosphatase. So even if glucose 6-phosphate uh, builds up in natural killer cells for some reason, or in, for example, uh, CD8-positive T cells or T um, helper cells, it's not going to leave those cells. Likewise, there's no glucose 6-phosphatase in muscle cell um, or in the adipose. So only in the liver, really. And again, to some lesser degree, the, the kidney. So the issue of having glucose 6-phosphate generated, whatever small amount, via back circulation to the oxypentose phosphate shunt, would still contribute to glucose production. Okay? So keep that in mind. Also keep in mind that these lesions might be leaky. That is, not all of this mutation may occur in all cells. So you may always have some FBPase activity. Because remember, we have splice variants of all these genes, right? So I just want you to keep all of that in mind. When we get talking about a specific cell line, we're talking about an inborn error of immunity, the whole body is going to be regulated by the, those same genetic lesions. And those genetic lesions are going to have a more profound effect on gluconeogenesis when they are restricted to the liver. So that was the only point I wanted to make. So, okay, now let's do the um, offered and uh, the um, contributed metaphysical story. So, Sit down, relax, and enjoy this Thanksgiving discussion. I'm calling this the universe by negation. And I wrote it about a week ago. And so um, I'm going to read it out to you and with new ideas as I read it. I start off by saying, oh, the colors you will see. <clears throat> Then I say, time is not variable as a form of phenomena. When it involves measurement of change associated with a specific event that may be calculated as an increase or decrease of physical substance. So the amount of time as measured in seconds or hours or days or weeks or centuries is indeed a quantitative category. And it may be given numerical values within whatever that interval is it's being examined. However, time as measured in units, such as seconds, for example, which we do often in biochemistry, or according to any geophysical point source relative to the movement of the Earth on its axis or orbit is not an ontic species. 
Why? Because time cannot be isolated and studied as a form of reality. Much the same as space has no physical reality unless it is designated with a temporal signature where specified specific matter is named. Only with a clearly defined quantitative temporal and qualitative material event may space-time obtain in phenomenological existence. Therefore, the forms of space and time, we call those forms, that we use to sensorily examine and describe our universe are only an ontological phenomenon when and where specified matter can be linked to a temporal sequence with descriptive signatures involving change. The delta T we talk about, right? Change in time. Now, <clears throat> these are all merely rational ideas brought by the mind to apprehend that which is otherwise not obtained except as a priori synthetic knowledge. So we can say we're at now the violet edge of infinity, right? right before the ultraviolet, where our sensoria no longer work, except with instrumentation. Now, the non-phenomenological, purely metaphysical formation, which goes back to Anaximander and the Aperon, in which there is a non-bounded, timeless, and non-physical, spaceless event must be obtained via the faculty and only via the faculty of the imagination. Now, in theology, this noumena, as, as opposed to phenomena or phenomena, is the universal divine order of the Logos. <clears throat> In this ancient synthesis of space and time, there is no substance nor interval as all is conceived in the non-physical mind of God. It is timeless and spaceless and immaterial. Yet, it must be the plenum of the entire cosmos. Now, that means this noumena is a Latin term I put together, eventus intus se. And that means the source of the entire universe as it is in itself in the mind of God. 
So intelligence, human intelligence, is the resonance of this noumena. It is so because it is apprehended by human reason, a priori, as nature through the instantiation of individual free will. So the human mind, in my view, synthesizes this logos as space and time. Thus, the divine order is recognized phenomenologically by the senses. <clears throat> now, I would say that it, it appears that Anaximander, the pre-Socratic philosopher, pondered some of these foundational, I'll call them concepts, which are abstractions of the understanding. Right? Now, Parmenides and Heraclitus, which are often put on opposite poles, and they aren't really, but let's say Parmenides and Heraclitus, again, pre-Socratic philosophers, began their analysis of change where Parmenides found no substance in the void. So everything was unity, is what Parmenides said, while Heraclitus finds only flux. Okay? Now, Pythagoras then required quantitative and qualitative measurement of spatial order, thus applying mathematical modeling via what? Arithmetic and geometrical inference. Plato then synthesizes these ideas. Yes, he does using this mathematical interpretation of the Logos, which he states emphatically, with a temporal processive set of signatures in his dialogue called the Timaeus. So I suggest you go back and read that. You'll see why I'm <coughs> suggesting that's the viewpoint you should follow. Now, what I've done so far is a very modest historical perspective that I'm synthesizing by my interpretations that lead me to ponder after Kant's epistemology, which he's gathering through Plotinus and then Augustine, that time is indeed an internal sequencing event ontology. But I argue, this is my interpretation, that time is indeed both an external and an internal sequencing event ontology. It's not only what's happening inside our mind, but it's how we're using that domain to interpret the world via change. So it has to be external and internal. Now, what about space? 
Is it not also internal and external phenomena? So by extension, from the space-time argument, what we fuse the two, that's basically a tautological conclusion. Has to follow. But I'll go on. From the necessary premise that space is also determined through our senses, then yes, it must also be nothing more than a mere phenomenological inference in our mind and external to our mind. So this leaves what I say rather um, in jest, but the, the, it's that, that what I'm saying is in jest, but I'm using this term in jest. This leaves the arboreal view of space-time as nothing more than a reworking of cognitive superpositioning involving antique, dynamic, circumspective navigation. Now, I'll let you digest that on your own. Now, <clears throat> a reimagined Anaximander, or if you like, the Einsteinian lift from Kant's Copernican epistemology is basically what we're talking about. And I will note the physicist failed to give due credit to Anaximander, Kant, or Copernicus, okay? which doesn't surprise me. Now, gazing back at the mathematical perspectives, we're not done yet here. It was the gas laws and basic thermodynamics that provided Newtonian focus on problematic, very problematic, empty space, as he saw it, and kinetic matter, which, of course, rather ambiguously, then forced early 19th century European researchers to seek an explanation of electricity and magnetism that ultimately required differential calculus to solve the concept of wave energetics. <clears throat> the calculus derived from Newton and also from Leibniz. Right? One was uh, algebraic and the other was geometric, so both. So, that leaves us with James Clerk Maxwell, who gave us the spectral blues and reds of the electromagnetic theory, and thus provided the grounding of relativity and quantum mechanics that continue right up to this day. Now, it seems that Maxwell obtained his approach by examining how Faraday imagined space. There was at the time of Faraday, another researcher that I'm sure you've heard of, a mathematical understanding of magnetic forces moving through a, wait for it, void, wherein the medium played no role in the attractive or repulsive nature of the forces that somehow ended up functioning at some node where forces were, what? Reconvened. Now, 
Maxwell was smarter than that, and he realized that electrical forces and magnetic forces, for one thing, he was an experimentalist, not a mathematician. He realized that electrical and magnetic forces were treated in the same way by the mathematicians. The medium was essentially a void, and the dynamics of the forces that were magnetic or electrical simply generated at one locus and then transmitted somehow unencumbered to the next locus where all the action took place. So Maxwell, in his major treatise, does acknowledge Faraday as the one who realized the medium must play a role in this transmittance. From his study of Faraday, Maxwell began to see that magnetic and electrical forces were of the same dynamics, and because of that, the medium through which they traversed would be similarly modified, and perhaps in turn affect and then reflect the dynamic movements of the forces themselves. So Maxwell then went to, he turned then to mathematics, in particular differential equations, and realized the forces of electricity and magnetism were functioning as waves. So what do waves do? Waves function at their simplest level as oscillations associated with periodic motion, where displacement of the wave is obtained by applying force, thus generating a potential acceleration. The electromagnetic wave must have a source of oscillation and thus a potential acceleration along a vector where the medium defines the spatial coordinates ultimately in a defined space. Right? Those coordinates have to be spatial. But how does the elaboration of the electromagnetic spectrum that I've been talking about now, reach back to the noumena. Well, of course, we have to conclude this discussion. So it does so by negation and subsequent formulation via interpretation of our own sensorial phenomena. To understand what you cannot sense, the noumena, you must negate this absence What's the absence? Inability to see. And you have to negate it via free choice of the will. Hence, one formulates ideas, such as the electromagnetic spectrum using mathematics, derived from imagination of idealized geometrical, we'll say Euclidean structures, through a differential analysis of two formal variables. What are they? Space and time. So these formulae apprehend a means to interpret what the senses obtain via a priori synthesis of reception. Perception becomes the rational readout, you see. Thus, every event 
that is possible, but not empirically knowable from the noumena must be obtained via a priori synthesis of ideas and concepts drawn through mentative process, ultimately apprehending sense data requiring organization into discrete ontologies. So the sensible world needs structure to explain function. It's another way of saying it. If and only if senses are tuned to some event, such as described as electromagnetic, exposed and unfolding, will finally nothingness disappear. Hence, the observed universe is because of the absence of unperceived noumenal non-existence, so obtained by the possibilities required <laughs> by the God-given, perpetual, freely willed instantiation of phenomena, humanly imagined from the eventus intus se. So, that's all I have to say on the matter. Hopefully, um, if you parse what I talked about, it's my individual viewpoint that can, of course, be extrapolated to all of our observable phenomena, including physiology, genetics, and even uh, the most precious, biochemistry. So that's why I go all the way back to Pythagoras, who talked about geometrical shapes. And what Pythagoras states, from what little we have of the scraps of scrolls that are available, but that had been rediscussed in Plato and then in Aristotle, who did have primary manuscripts, was that when you're talking about something occurring in space and time, you put it there. You put it there as an ontic event. So you have to imagine it out there like a triangle. Once you do that, then all the phenomenological aspects you want to describe for everything that's occurring in nature can start to be unfolded and interpreted. Okay? And what I gave you there was just a biochemist, me in particular, point of view of how that's functioning through all of the ideas come through in the electromagnetic spectrum, ultimately, leading to special and general relativity. And all of the theories that have come since then are all leading from phenomena. Everything is phenomenological. And so to get wherever we are in describing um, a scientific point of view of nature, we have to remember this is all phenomena. And what I'm giving you then is a template on how we are divining that from whatever the noumena is, right? The event in itself, as it is, 
which we have no handle on. Right? So hopefully um, I've convinced you of that, or at least got you to ponder it. And uh, also why you understand why I call this the universe by negation. So I'll leave you on this Thanksgiving evening. Um, this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 23rd of November, 2023, saying bye for now. <laughs>